Welcome to the Transportation Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. For the transportation industry, Hyperloop seems to be the next big step, connecting metropolitan cities across states and across countries and bringing people to each other in minutes. However, there are still some technological and systematic issues with Hyperloop, and here to tell us a bit more about his take on why Hyperloop is still struggling and what some alternatives might be is Gareth Dennis, Senior Engineer for Permanent Rail Engineering. Here to tell us a bit more about Hyperloop and some of the positives, but also some of the issues that still are to fix with Hyperloop is Gareth Dennis, Senior Engineer of Permanent Rail Engineering. Gareth, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm great. You know, I'm excited to hop into this topic. I think Hyperloop is something that everyone has been pushing as a very exciting new futuristic transportation technology that's going to revolutionize the way we get from city to city. And so I want to know, before we get into your take on it, could you just give us a summary of Hyperloop and how it made its way into the transportation industry? Actually, you can trace the origins of the concept um, quite far back, but really in recent times, um, it, it kind of kicks off with Elon Musk in 2013, releasing what was called the Alpha Paper about what he saw as a essentially firing pods through a vacuum tube, getting rid of friction so that you could fire this pod with people or freight within it at very high speeds and get people around much quicker over land. So kind of drilling down into the detail of, of what of where that concept has now gone. There are quite a few companies that have been developing it. And, and kind of the, the thread that connects them all is that essentially Hyperloop is a magnetic levitation railway with a partial vacuum tube surrounding it. So actually the constituent technological parts are quite uh, well known. They're quite well understood, particularly maglev, kind of a couple of lines that use maglev at high speeds in, in, on the planet. One of them is uh, in China, which is the Shanghai Transrapid. And the other is still a test track, actually, but everyone kind of always cites this one, which is the Chuo Shinkansen in Japan. Uh, and that line's actually still in development. So the maglev technology is quite well explored. And then the partial vacuum is kind of a, a kind of a clever idea to extrapolate Newton's first law to remove as much air resistance as possible to reduce the required motive force to get up to uh, high speeds of around uh, 1,100 kilometers an hour, so 700 miles an hour. So, so yeah, the technology kind of laid out is, is not necessarily brand new, but pulling it together exactly like this is, is something that's certainly excited quite a few people. And some progress has actually been, been made by various competing Hyperloop developers. Virgin Hyperloop One, one of the companies, built a 500-meter test ring in the Nevada desert that they call DevLoop. Well, actually, it's not a ring. It's a straight line. But that's 500 meters worth of their kind of test track. And uh, Hyperloop Transportation Technologies are also proceeding with their uh, test track, which I believe is currently in France. So, so there's lots of progress on the technology being made. Yeah, I mean, that technology is exciting for sure. I'm from the Missouri area. I went to school at the University of Missouri. And I have a lot of friends that are excited about connecting St. Louis to Kansas City with a Hyperloop, which is one of the finalists right now for the first Hyperloop rail. And I mean, just the idea of being able to get from those two metropolitan cities within 30 minutes, 45 minutes is pretty crazy, whereas it used to take, you know, four hours or something like that. So the technology is definitely getting people excited. But I guess, you know, what's your take on it? How do you feel about Hyperloop? And what do you think is feasible about it or maybe not so feasible? 
that a lot of the negative press, perhaps, that Hyperloop has been getting focuses a lot on the technology. And don't get me wrong, there are some serious technological challenges to overcome. Um, for example, the design speeds of a Hyperloop are looking at achieving, you know, so it's up to 1,100 kilometers an hour. Um, as with conventional railway alignments, Hyperloop will rotate the plane of its guideway as curvature increases to reduce the forces on passengers. So, so if you imagine when, you, when you, you're driving your car, you go around a corner, you can feel yourself being pushed to the outside. The way the railway manages those forces is that we rotate the plane of the, the rails, essentially rotate the vehicle to increase lateral acceleration into the curve so that they kind of balance out so you don't feel it quite as much. It kind of seems unlikely that a guideway could be tilted enough to avoid a near straight alignment for Hyperloop at the speeds they're talking about. But, but even though they wouldn't be uncomfortable, you know, you'd expect inertial forces on passengers to be comparable to those in a jet aircraft. Um, uh, for most places, certainly in the UK and Europe, where the land is, is very busy with topography and with cities and settlements, um, you'd expect that to mean that tubes would have to be underground. Um, another huge technological hurdle for any linear transportation system are switches. So that's the mechanism by which you change a train or a pod between different tracks. And this is something that the railway has been developing for nearly 200 years, in fact, more. And we still haven't quite got it right. So the idea that um, Hyperloop can come up with this new technology that, that achieves the switching overnight is, is uh, worrying. And there are lots of other little technical gremlins. I know people often talk about thermal expansion, which isn't a big deal other than it'll make everything cost a lot of money. If you've got a vacuum within the tube, your expansion joints are going to have to be very expensive. And there, there are other issues as well relating to energy consumption. So, for example, Japan's Chushin Kansen maglev uses approximately three to four times more energy per seat than the equivalent high-speed rail system. So Hyperloop has got, it's kind of got the energy efficiency numbers stacked against it. But all of these issues are technological, and, and if you threw enough money at them, you can probably solve almost all of them. The one issue that money cannot solve, money and time cannot solve, is capacity. This is, this is kind of the most fundamental issue with Hyperloop. And if we focus on passenger transport for the moment, high-speed rail, such as the UK's high-speed 2 uh, rail network that's appearing fairly soon here, can carry up to 20,000 people per hour on one track in one direction. Metro rail, so that's kind of urban systems that travel a bit slower so the trains can get a bit closer together, can carry 36,000 people per hour on one track in one direction. Hyperloop can only carry between 800 and maybe 3,500 people per hour in one direction, in one tube, depending on who you talk to. So you can see that's a massive difference in capacity of the systems. Uh, and, and the things that define that capacity are are really the kind of the, the equations of mechanics in that you have to have a given separation, a given interval between these pods that carry people. And so for railways, a train will have maybe 1,000, 1,500 people within a train within that interval, the safe interval between trains. Hyperloop will only have maybe 40 to 50 people in a given pod. So the whole concept kind of falls down with that, the idea of having these pods with small numbers of people because you have to build all this infrastructure and it's carrying people uh, its passenger capacity is being measured in the hundreds rather than the tens of thousands that conventional railways are. So the issue really is that the current system of pods is too small, that the idea for the pods for Hyperloop just can't hold enough people. Why haven't Elon Musk and the Hyperloop company thought of bigger pods to fit more people? Is it just unfeasible? So this is a very good question. And actually, I'm working 
I'm, I'm, I'm involved with and, and sort of possibly peer reviewing um, some of the work being done by some universities in the UK about Hyperloop. And I'm helping them kind of look at, okay, so the pod idea is, is kind of a dead end. If you had trains uh, with this partial vacuum tube around them on maglev, would that improve energy efficiency, the capacity? Would it, would it sort of flip the equation, as it were? And, and it's something that the companies are all looking at because they understand that pods maybe aren't the answer. However, at the point where you've basically got a train on maglev, the, the system is competing with the energy efficiency of rail, and it's much clearer that the rail system and the maglev system of Hyperloop don't stack up in terms of energy efficiency and cost effectiveness. It's very expensive to build maglev railways. So I think the cynical person in me suggests that perhaps the reason that lots a string of pods like a train haven't been mooted is because it looks too similar to a railway. Whereas with the pod, it looks very futuristic. It's, it's more difficult for people to, to kind of imagine the, how similar the system versus rail is. So really, it's just an aesthetic choice? Well, it's as much to make the technology look as futuristic as possible. It requires a lot of venture capital to research and develop these things. So the, the way you get venture capital is certainly in the tech industry is making something look very exciting, very new. Whereas if it was a string of pods next to each other like a train, it would look a little too similar to the railway. And potentially investors wouldn't see it as being a new type of transportation, just a development of the existing transportation technology. Whilst there's potential for lots of exciting things to come out of this in terms of small technology developments... My fear is that it can that, that that focus on the the brand new the fact that it's a new transportation system is is clouding people from realizing that that they've got to ask some serious questions about the capacity of the system. Transport isn't about technology; it's about the overall system. It's a system for moving things and people around. The technology is just what facilitates it, but the system is what's got to be looked at. And there are a lot of brilliant minds working within Hyperloop. You know, Dr. Anita Sengupta is a very good example. She works for Virgin Hyperloop 1. She's a NASA scientist. She's put curiosity in Mars. She's, she's an absolute genius. But she's focusing, I'd imagine the team are focusing very much on the technology. And I fear they haven't stepped back and looked at the transport system as a whole. Yeah, it almost seems like one of those things that could be overlooked by accident, even though it's one of the most integral parts of the whole thing. Because when you're trying to come up with that disruptive, game-changing new technology, you're focusing on, on ways that the technology can be different. But yeah, sometimes the system that you're trying to integrate or you're, that you're trying to put your new technology into, sometimes that just gets left at the door, not on purpose, but just because people are more excited about the new technology. They don't even bother to think as much about, oh, wait a minute, how are we going to turn this into an efficient transportation system that's going to get you know, 20,000, 30,000 people from one end to the next as efficiently as a metro system does? Because in the state that it's at now, it sounds more like it'll be a luxury attraction. Exactly. Uh, I, I kind of always make the analogy that Hyperloop at the moment, its target market, market appears to be um, private jets rather than railway transport. Obviously, the speed is something else that captures people's imaginations, but there's actually a balance of looking at the technology and, and cost of making that speed is that actually conventional high-speed rail, you know, looking at speeds of 350 or 400 kilometers an hour, not to the too distant future, will actually achieve a huge amount of time saving compared to people who are sat currently on interstate highways in traffic for hours or sat on much older railway systems. For example, the US, there are a few pockets of much more modern railway systems, but there are lots of the, the country, particularly across the whole country, has a very slow railway system because freight is king. 
It's the same across Europe. Only you know, only the last few decades have high-speed rail systems become vogue. Uh, they move people much quicker. And new metro systems obviously have greater capacity. But the speed is something that I think has captured everyone's imagination. The risk, exactly as you say, is that people focus on the exciting technology without remembering that transport is a system, not a technology. Right. Well, looking a little bit outwards from Hyperloop, what do you think are some alternatives, some technology that's still innovative and exciting that might rival Hyperloop as the next phase for transportation? So the thing that gets me incredibly excited has to be pushing the propulsion of aircraft, airliners, towards zero emissions. So so essentially, striving for that wonderful goal of fully electric jet propulsion. That, for me, is super exciting because you're not completely rebuilding a transport system. Essentially, you take your old Boeing 737, you put it in the bin, and you swap it out with a new electric aircraft that has manages to have enough uh, power and carry enough energy to do the same trip. Some people say, oh, it's impossible. Well, this is a technological challenge. Therefore, enough great minds, enough money, and enough patience will achieve answers. So if we can get airliners that are carbon neutral, that essentially consume no fossil fuels, that is a game changer because essentially you plug them into the existing airliner system, the existing air industry. So air traffic control, all the safety regulation, all the lessons we've learned from past tragedies, all of those, they're not wiped clean. We've learned from all those and they they very much hold through for the same, uh, it's the same system, just with new aircraft. So for me, that is super exciting. They're, NASA, again, doing quite a lot of work on research where you've got these aircraft with almost, they're almost like biplanes where they've got this dual wing to gain extra lift. This means that they can put slightly more batteries in I think hybrid technology is going to start coming into the airline industry a bit more. It's all the slow pace towards eventually not filling up your jet airliner with jet fuel, but perhaps recharging some batteries in it. That, for me, is spectacularly exciting. That sounds like a lot of investment on the front end. But, you know, long term, do you think that transition will actually save both businesses and consumers money? The advantage is that all the runways are built. You know, the whole system, all the infrastructure, all the heavy infrastructure has been built. Whereas with Hyperloop, it's the opposite. There is zero infrastructure for Hyperloop. Uh, And much as some of the progenitors of the system talk about being able to use existing transport corridors, that's only really going to be true for perhaps the US with the interstates, perhaps the United Arab Emirates, Dubai, Qatar, Saudi, some of these places where they do have massive, long, straight roads. Whereas for the most built-up areas, and this includes core city areas within uh, America, Mexico, Mexico, even China, and certainly the UK and Europe, there isn't the space to fit these long, straight, high-speed tubes for Hyperloop. So you have to bury them underground, which is inordinately expensive. And sometimes the geology just prevents that from happening. Whilst Hyperloop requires a huge amount of new infrastructure investment, completely brand new, very carbon intensive, because building things, all that concrete, that's, that's carbon dioxide you're releasing into the atmosphere. Whereas for the air industry, all it is, is a research and development program to come up with new aircraft. Whilst that's expensive, it's not as expensive as rebuilding a whole infrastructure across the planet. So actually, you can just plug and play this new technology with an existing infrastructure. That is really exciting. And I think it'll get innovators and people in the transportation industry to look at solving this issue in different ways. You know, instead of necessarily focusing on making the sci-fi dream of Hyperloop happen, as much as, you know, I and I think a lot of people would like to see it happen, there are you know, like you said, tangible, doable things that if the right people, the right minds, the right amount of money 
and the right patience goes into it, we could solve some transportation issues without having to invest a ton of money, time, and energy into new infrastructure. So yeah, I think I think that is a really exciting future for transportation. Exactly, yeah. As um, Ryan Dito of Pittsburgh City Paper kind of says, the, the, the challenge with Hyperloop is that it gives kind of anti-transit politicians a convenient excuse to sabotage needed transit investments while painting skeptics as anti-progress. On the other hand, jet propulsion being changed to electric propulsion for airliners that's something that, that that really very quickly can can radically change the planet. The whole planet can be improved by this because so many people fly very safely by aircraft. That's it's got to be the future, and and that's coming from a railway engineer who realizes that if you can make airliners car- carbon neutral, that's some serious stiff competition. But I'm I'm comfortable with that competition. <laughs> yeah, it's uh at the end of the day, it's it's a bit of a challenge for you, right? And it, everyone welcomes a good challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Gareth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling us a little bit more about your take on Hyperloop and what you see for the future of the transportation industry. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can log on to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to your favorite articles, podcasts, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time. Till next time.